Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sloppy Lab. I am JT Russell, and with me tonight is QuickDraw3457. And if you if you have trouble remembering that 3457, all I can say is uh, just stare at it for a while, and eventually it will become easy. Become easy. <laughs> that is a good one. It is. It's a good trick. I had someone recently ask me what the 3457 stood for, and if it was uh, like the, I don't know what you call them, like wheat speak or something. I don't know if there's actually like a word for it besides that. It does not stand for easy in wheat speak, but that was a great observation. And so I might just have mm -hmm. to go with that now. I cannot unsee easy now. I'm just going to just gonna blow it up here <laughs> on the screen. <laughs> and I think the, the, the real joke is that it's really 3457, but we'll leave that there. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, you know. However you want to say the numbers is fine. Just get the numbers right. That's all I ask. <laughs> Just get the numbers right. Yeah, get the numbers right. We don't we don't know anything about that. <laughs> it's a sloppy style. I think I mentioned too. So you have an alternate account that you use on from time to time if you need to, you know, spectate more than one game or if yeah. you're playing a simultaneous exhibition, right? <laughs> it happens a lot. You know, we always like to watch the sloppy lab work game, so it gets a lot of use. And that's what one, two six eight. Six eight. And I think I took. I think just for just to be just to be a jerk, I took quick draw nine or nine zero or something. Nine 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 nine. <laughs> nine nine nine. <laughs> uh, I think uh, now in stereo may have just recently claimed quick draw one three three seven. Oh, he's got the lead. That's primo real estate right there. I don't know if you were ever a a Diablo two player. Diablo nope. two player. The old D two X was good times back in the day, but there was this one really really sweet piece of armor, and everybody wanted this armor with an armor like rating of one three three seven even though you could get it much higher rated you just like you had to have mm -hmm. that one so <laughs> then you leave it there and you never upgrade it right and never upgrade it nope it's done yeah. it's peak uh, a fun one in store for everyone today i think it's gonna be a fun one i think it'll be educational for us mm -hmm. so boring for everybody else <laughs> maybe i think it's a it's a great uh, opportunity for us to kind of think out loud about this and kind of set the stage for our um, what we hope is going to be kind of a, a newer recurring segment, uh, a new recurring theme to shows um, as we explore different archetypes in Keyforge. Um, mm -hmm. I had never given a ton of thought before to it. I know a lot of other people have done research out there and have done a lot of discussion on it. And so we're kind of, um, I think, coming at it with like a, a fresh take, I hope, and kind of mm -hmm. trying to explore it ourselves, um, looking into some of the stuff that's already been established and um, maybe not agreed upon or, or consensus, but stuff that's, um, you know, widely believed and then going from there. The fine folks in the chat are telling us they can't wait to tell us, can't wait to tell us how wrong we are. <laughs> I feel like that's why Fudgenator shows up every week. <laughs> You've come to the right place. Yeah. <laughs> You've come to the right place. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this, this is, I do view this sort of, uh, this episode as sort of the start of a journey. Uh, I think we will have a number of episodes uh, in the future highlighting different archetypes, different deck types. Um, and I think that's also going to be an opportunity to, you know, welcome on hopefully some community experts or experts, maybe a high bar. You don't have to be an expert. You can be a lover of an amateur even of, uh, of the various archetypes and deck types out there. They may even be things that don't get mentioned today. So if we don't happen to mention your favorite archetype, then please educate us as it were. And, and we have a good place to be educated, don't we? We do. We do. So I, I have over, over here on stream right now the team page, the brand new team page. And I was just commenting 
to quick draw before the show that we should put some ads on here it'll it'll put a random different random bird in front of each team member as you load the page and uh it has just been really really uh more addictive than it ought to be so they're not all birds though but we're not going to spoil the non-bird you have to find it you have Mm -hmm. to refresh the page as many times as you can until you're seeing something like JT Russell is seeing right now on his page. And look at this. All ducks here. All ducks here. Eureka would be proud. I feel like that's worth a prize or something. <laughs> that's You're supposed to share a link, though. You, you got distracted by the birds again and the ducks. I, I was. Oh, no. So from, from the Hoden page, actually, you can, get to, you can get to it. There's a new link for folks who have a question or topic idea for the show. Uh, so handy link there. It says got a question or a topic idea for the show, click on it. It's going to bring you to another page that has a link to a fancy Google form thing. And you can click on that link and pull up the form and submit an idea. And we'll look at it and say, oh, that's a great idea. Or we'll ignore it. I don't know. One of the two. (laughs) Yeah. I just linked it in the chat anyway. And one of the things you mentioned as well is like, if you would have a recommendation for a guest to talk about a different Mm -hmm archetype that someone thinks that they are pretty familiar with. We're happy to welcome new friends in the show. So yeah, feel free to give us some feedback. Fill up Google form for us every once in a while. Let us know what you think. Any ideas? Um, we're always looking for new ideas to talk about, especially stuff that is interesting to you guys. I'll include it as a link in the show notes too. So if you're if you're not here with us on stream now and you're wondering what we're talking about, check the show notes. It should be there. So this should be fun, uh, fun episode. Kind of as we mentioned, we are going to dive in and maybe air out some of our own ideas and thoughts on the various deck archetypes yeah see where we get to so it could be shorter could be longer but it's going to set the stage for a longer journey that i i have a lot of hope for yeah we're going to have more questions than answers tonight very cool with that um and i guess the first one that we very obviously want to start with are what are the archetypes that are part of this game what are ones that people think are part of this game what do we think are part of this game i like i said i have never done a ton of major research on this in the past a lot of studying on it I know a few that are very popular, um, Rush and Control, which Control we'll talk a bit about more as kind of a, uh, doesn't fully describe what it what it means. It's very different in this game, I think, than other games. Uh, and then there's like the Zoomies, there is the Doomies. Doomies, in fact, is a personal favorite of mine. But yeah, so there's got to be plenty of different other ones that are along that spectrum as well. I know uh, the NKFL podcast in the past has done a much more um, deeper episode on this already. And so we're going to kind of look at theirs at some point in the future too, and just kind of see how that compares to what our list looks like. But to me, I think one of the interesting things is that I don't know if there's like a right answer for this. I don't know if Mm. everyone thinks that all of the the archetypes are the same. And I don't know if everyone will like agree on every definition either. That's, you know, uncovers an interesting question itself. So to what end, to what purpose do we we have these, what's the value we get from them? Even as you look at the different archetypes that folks have, I think it's not even clear that folks agree on sort of the same criteria or even looking at the same the same things when we're talking about some of these deck types. I think one of the one of the cool things that will come out of this is maybe even a common language is is useful because I think and we were talking with Beehawk earlier, I think one of the most valuable things too is just being able to communicate, you know, what you enjoy as a player and and which decks you've been you've been liking playing um so even that alone is pretty cool was there any that i went through that i I missed that you would also include in that kind of base list of what people generally think of rush control doomies zoomies um there's a few other ones that are in there that i think are are less 
less accepted. Um, combo deck, I guess I missed. Combos is a big one. Combo is a big one. Floods, flood is one that you get. You heard mention. You hear mentioned quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You do hear crush a lot now, but I feel like you you hit all the big ones that I see floated most often. Am I one of the only people that only recently realized that crush meant rush with C? <laughs> I probably I probably just learned that like two months ago, even though I had heard that term for a very long time. I've definitely heard the term a lot, and I've played against crush decks, and I've said, oh. That's a crush deck, sure. And I've had crush explained to me, but I've never had it said until this very moment that crush is rush with C. But now that you've said it, it makes so much sense. Okay, so I'm glad I'm not the only one. That's very good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I I recently got a crush deck, and that's like the first time that I had really like considered that word and the term for it. It's just got like a ton of C in all houses, a lot of pips, a lot of stealing. And I was like, yeah, this is... This is probably what people were talking about with the crush deck. And then I was like, oh, yeah, it's got the high C. And that's kind of what everyone was talking about with it. So I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Um, I don't know if anyone else in the chat maybe just came to that realization. Maybe their minds are blown and they can't, they can't comment <laughs> at this time. I am, uh, I don't know, outing myself as being wildly uh, unqualified <laughs> for this topic. Like, Why oh, we're sloppy lab rush was C. <laughs> this is like, this is, this is our shtick. And we're sticking to it. So like, talk about crush. Like, it's kind of specific, but at the same time, it's also rush so like how do you break this stuff down like how deep do you go when you're thinking of this stuff because like a rush deck in its simplest definition is like make a lot of amber fast right and a crush mm-hmm. deck can do that just happens to have c so like is it a subcategory or is it something distinct and like there's other examples of this too like different different types of grind decks that are very different in style but they're still kind of like the same grind i'm not sure if you're if you're teeing me up to go into my grand theory of everything or not. <laughs> the grand theory of it all is what everyone comes to this show for. Absolutely. Um, but uh, whether whether crush is a subcategory of rush or not, I, I guess so in a, in a traditional sense. But I think the the necessity the necessity of C and whether or not you have it is almost a distinguishing factor currently in the game. I would say mm-hmm. they definitely feel like they play out as very different decks, and I think in what I might I might throw out as some early thinking on classifications, um, they they definitely wouldn't sit quite at the same place in the scale or the grid, as it were. Right, do you want to talk about your scale yet, or you want to kind of build up to that? Let's talk about it, sure. Um, so I have been thinking about this a little bit, and it there was some really interesting conversation um, on the NKFL server earlier this week and we've been talking about our hex head lineups and and some <clears throat> other matchup analysis and i think what kind of sparked it was folks had been referencing or talking about control decks a bit and control is really not a term that sits very well with me in, in reference to keyforge decks i think it makes a lot more sense in a game like mtg but in terms of keyforge it just didn't really resonate and so i've been kind of feeling better and better about this scale of decks that go from being sort of rush to grind and i'm a little bit a little bit co-opting the term rush here from how it's been traditionally used rather than using it to say these are decks that just generate amber very quickly you know have lots of pips it's more a type of deck that or it's more a description of how the game wants to interact with the uh, how the deck wants to interact with the length of the game in terms of turns Right, So a rush deck is trying to bring about the end of the game more quickly 
and through one means or another is trying to shorten the length of the game in terms of turns, whereas a grind deck is trying to draw the game out. And so if you if you really kind of lay on top of the racing racing metaphor or view it through the lens of Keyforge as a racing game, the rush deck saying like, I'm just getting to the finish line as quickly as possible in its purest form, it's almost ignoring entirely everything the opponent's doing. And it's just kind of like headlong dash to the finish line. Maybe that means maybe that means just jam full of pips, no C, no R, no A, whatever. You know, this is kind of like the the purest form rush deck. And then on the other side of the scale, you've got these these decks that I'm kind of kind of calling grind. So it's this rush to grind scale. Uh and they kind of they kind of interact with it a little bit differently. Rather than rather than being a headlong dash, uh, we're looking at more small incremental advantage, almost as an afterthought. And the, their goal is really to kind of stretch out the length of the game. And uh, there's a lot of things that fall into this, you know, this concept of you know, which deck has the quote unquote inevitability on its side. Um, but really, this is the scale, right? You've got decks that are trying to bring about the end of the game more quickly versus decks that are trying to drag the game out. And and there's a gradation between them. Um, so I don't know. Does that make sense as a, as kind of the first first layer? Yeah, I'm I'm super interested in kind of diving into that at some point in the next few weeks and episodes and however long we we take this on. Um, I want to latch on to something that Fudgeinator <laughs> just said, which is yeah. 100% true. Uh, Keyforge is actually just Mario Kart and cardboard. This is a theory yeah. that has been going around for a while. A lot of the ABR guys, big Mario Kart fans. And um, I've chatted with them before about this. There's tons of parallels in this. And even in this, like, as you were describing uh, your your rush to grind scale, I'm thinking in my head, like, okay, yeah, someone with rush, they're playing Mario Kart and they only get mushrooms, which just make you go faster. And Mm -hmm. someone who's playing more of a control deck, they might get a lot of shells. Maybe they'll get, like, the occasional uh, lightning bolt, something like that. Uh, But it's all about you know, aggression and disruption and try to pull you down to their level. They can't drive as fast as you, so they're going to make you go as slow as them instead of saying, I need to figure out how to drive faster. Um, Tons of really great parallels with Mario Kart and Keyforge, if you ever think about it. They're racing games. You're doing three laps. Different characters have different skills that they do better than others. Some might drive faster. Some might have better control and handling. Some might have better acceleration. So like, if you think of all of this stuff in terms of Keyforge, you can still like pull out a lot of the same similarities. Like when you look at a deck, you might say like, okay, um, this one has a ton of pips. It can rush really fast. So it might have high acceleration and high top speed because it's just never going to stop making amber. And then you might look at another deck that, um, you know, it needs to establish a board before it can get going. So it has a lower acceleration, but still a pretty high top speed, because if it gets its board out, then it can really just make a ton of money. But it's got to take some time to get to that point. And then you have like these other control decks that are really about, you know, controlling the the state of the board, your opponent's board, um, what they're able to play, how much, how many cards they have in their hand, things like that. Um, So it's just, I don't know, it's just, we had a great conversation in our little team chat today about the parallels with this in terms of the deck archetypes. And I thought it was really interesting um, just mm-hmm. to find yet another parallel with Mario Kart and Keyforge. <laughs> they, they just never stop. So my challenge <laughs> says combo decks found glitch shortcuts. <laughs> yeah, for real. That's <laughs> probably true. Like I, I never liked the glitch shortcuts. There's some that I would call in Mario Kart, not glitches, but really just like, Oh, you can jump over that wall right there. Cool. Like I, I just cut half a lap off. I don't know if I'd call that a glitch. I'm not. I'm not a fan of glitches. 
I am a fan of combos and I am a fan of those shortcuts. <laughs> Quick draw takes all the shortcuts. All right. <laughs> it's it's on brand for the name too. So <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I, I like that. And you know, you know it's a really good parallel when when B Hawk comes out with the Mario Kart references and it's not Smash Brothers, you know? So <laughs> he doesn't like Mario Kart actually, but he still like appreciates and, and respects the comparison here. Yes, yeah, so there's gotta be something to it. Bihawk actually, he stopped talking to me for a couple weeks one time when I told him I did not like Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> I, I hope he's over it, but it's just, you know, I just don't like Smash Brothers. I don't know. There's no parallels between Smash Brothers and Keyforge, so we're not going to talk about it anymore. I, I suspect there may be, but I'm not the right person to bring him out. This will be how we tempt uh, Bihawk on for uh, yeah. the Smash Brothers versus uh, uh, Mario Kart episode. So, so we're going to start taunting Bihawk to see if he'll join because the taunting of Crusader never worked. <laughs> he has to listen to the episodes <laughs> for the taunting to work <laughs> yeah yeah i was always a diddy kong racing fan uh, i never really got into mario kart that's like saying that you had a sega genesis instead of a super nintendo as a kid i did have a super nintendo okay good nintendo. all right one of some, one of my buddies had a sega genesis and i always enjoyed playing sonic and mortal kombat on it so mm. is that fair is that okay yeah it's all right mortal kombat was a good game it was okay. But I mean, Donkey Kong and, and company was, was where it was at. There's no question. Well, this was an episode of Bottom of the Beaker uh, 90s uh, computer games. I don't know. <laughs> <Console games. laughs> nice. Uh, so so that's one scale. you got Rush to Grind, uh, obvious parallels to Mario Kart. And it actually makes me happy. It makes me smile inside that there is this great parallel to uh, a well-known racing game. I think it really is a nod to how well they captured the essence of a racing game through cards um true. i will i will say too when keyforge was first described to me and described as a racing game i was like okay okay sure it's a racing game but really this is just like repackaged like fight your life toll down to 20 but we're counting down or counting up instead of down but i i have to say that you know as i've played it more and more it really does feel like a racing game and i think they actually did do a great job capturing that and have it feel distinct from you know, fight your life total down sort of yeah. game. You can't complete the third lap until you complete the first and second laps. There is there is that, but you also can't take the last life point until you've taken the second and last life point. I don't well, know. That's, I guess that, you could take them all at once. Yeah, I mean, you could take them all at once, but that's a 20-lap race, really, in Magic that's the Gathering. A uh, different way of interacting with resources as well. So, yeah, you've got the rush to grind scale, and then I think if that, if that defines sort of one axis for uh, a chart that we would plot deck archetypes on i think maybe another axis might be the kind of game elements or the kind of axis of attacks that are available that different decks take advantage of uh, so you might have amber pips or board presence and what have you be kind of axes on that and maybe that gives us a nice fancy nice fancy chart that we could start plotting things on if we get really 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 fancy i don't yeah. know well, the thing is with a with a chart is like the one the one hang up I have on this is like it's so hard to just look at a deck and say it, it fits into a certain archetype. Mm -hmm. You know, like one thing that was mentioned, I forget if it was in KFL or in, in our server is like you could have two players with different styles take the same exact deck and play it very different ways. So mm -hmm. you can't just look at a deck and say that's definitely a rush deck, that's definitely a zoomies deck, because people might play it differently. And I don't think that there is like it's not as like square and, and defined as I think Keyforge players want it to be. They want to say like, oh, yeah, this is a great control deck or this is a great rush deck. But like if a deck does other things with it, like you might be a good rush deck. But like what if you have like a really good 
Doomie's play with like a couple binding irons and things like that to like really slow down your opponent. Like, is it still a rush deck or is it a Doomie's deck? There's like, there's a lot of different scales and it's, it, I think maybe you can boil it down to like the, the one single scale you're talking about with like a rush to grind, but there's like, you also mentioned like a more of a, a an axis, like a matrix of like a lot more than just two dimensions to what these decks can do. I don't know. It's a really good thing in my mind that there's not an easy way to look at a deck and just say, yes, this is what this archetype is. Cause there's just a lot more nuance in Keyforge that I think, you know, you miss out on the first time you look at a deck list. The, the deck that always comes to mind when folks say face the same like that is, um, is Dranzid, Miss Dranzid de Castle, uh, that not tonight plays. I cannot win with that deck. She crushes everybody with that deck. Yeah. And when I've talked to her after games, about it one of the things that she mentions often is having to decide at some point whether she was the deck that was rushing or not and so you know when you talk about these scales like oh in in an absolute sense there's maybe not you know there's maybe limited value to to going you know down the rabbit hole of classifying everything but i I think it is important to be in a matchup or be evaluating two decks and and getting a sense for well which of these benefits from a shorter game which of them benefits from a longer game you know how's the match going to play out where what are the fundamental turns going to be and i think you know those are some of the questions that having uh having these sorts of things in mind can help you answer um you know long time empty jeers will will remember the like who's the beat down article and i'm sure it's been I was mentioned literally in, just yeah. googling that right now I mean, I think I think who's the rush is a uh, is a valid like keyforge analogy. I I almost want to say that Aurora probably wrote it at some point, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sounds like sounds like something she might have written. Uh, yeah, you're, uh, you're, but uh, yeah, she probably has. But exactly when you talked about Ms. Dranzid, um, I immediately thought like of the beatdown article because like you have to recognize in a game when you're behind and when you're ahead, when you just need to rush and when you need to really start to disrupt. And that's another reason why you can't just say like this deck's a rush deck and I'm just always going to go rush all the way. Because at a certain point, your opponent's going to be able to rush faster and you need to recognize Mm -hmm. when you cannot rush as fast and what you can do to kind of flip the switch, turn the tide a little bit. I want to find that B10 article because I haven't read it in a while, but it's extremely apt here, I think, when we're talking about having to adjust your style with a deck and also knowing like the position of the game and suddenly changing your deck from one thing into another depending on how you play it yeah it's not for keyforge but i'd encourage folks to give it a read by mike michael floors for the dojo yeah. which is probably a, no longer in existence but archived somewhere but yeah worth a read for folks who are lovers of card games yeah i, I can share the article i have a star city games article here i'm not sure if that's where it lives now but um i'll just post that in the chat it's it's an article that's been recommended to me in multiple different games that were not magic the gathering and so just to repeat like what you just said even if you're not a magic player this is a very relevant article for gaming if you haven't read it before it's super cool very interesting it's a great way to think about you know your in-game strategy decks with or games with a deck building component it's a lot easier to classify things and partly because there end up being fewer sort of entities like stable entities in the in the ecosystem right like mm-hmm. one of the things that makes it so hard to classify keyforge decks as you're mentioning is i mean they're all unique there are there are lots of potent ones out there and it's really hard to say like well is your deck with 23 creatures the same as my deck with 23 creatures just because we have lots of creatures are we both beat down decks like not not really the other things in that deck and the specific ones really provide a lot of nuance and make classification hard 
And so maybe that means it's even more important to not get stuck in this mindset of like, yeah, I'm, I'm always going to be the beat down deck. Like maybe your deck often wants to be rushing or beating down and that's mm-hmm. good to know, but it's more important equally, if not more important to be able to figure out, am I actually on the defensive here or need to need to figure out how to not be rushed um, yeah. in this matchup? Yeah. What if you're playing like a rush deck and you have very little C in your deck and then your opponent drops down a master of the gray and suddenly like, what do you do? Like you have to find a way to find an answer to that. So you're going to change your strategy compared to what you normally might just be like throwing out as many pips as you can at turn. Suddenly you have to kind of pivot and you maybe like call into a house that just has one or two big creatures just so you can fight a turn later and kind of get your game back in the right strategy. That's when you change your game plan from from rush to put your hands under the table and lift upwards vigorously. <laughs> or just do a, a quick concede so you can go get some lunch between rounds. Yeah, yeah I'll conserve the energy. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, all right. Master Talk about Gray is a butt. I agree with the chat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's a really rough card. You're not it's not fun to play against. People don't like it when your cards don't do anything. So, all right. Talking about matchups and how you might be like adjusting depending on game state or what you're playing against. How how much do you think about archetype matchups when you're going into a game? Do you like often think like I'm a rush deck? And I am weak to combo decks, or I am weak to control decks of some sort. And do you like kind of have these definitions in your head when you go into a game and try to have like a preconceived notion of what your game plan should be based on that? I definitely think through, you know, which which of us is trying to win more quickly and then how I'm fitting on that scale. I definitely don't say like, oh gosh, is this flood or crush or rush? Like I don't I don't always kind of worry about that so much. But in the NKFL setting, I definitely have like, okay, this is my deck where I'm trying to to flood and I'm looking for very specific things to see if they are able to counter it. So I don't know. Is that is that a, a very unhelpful both answer? <laughs> no, it's 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 a helpful answer. I I kind of do something similar. I don't really go into it with like, okay, I'm looking for a specific archetype to be up against and maybe ban that deck in Hexad or mm-hmm. ban that deck in Triad or whatever. I also kind of think about what are my deck's weaknesses? What am I looking for in my opponent's decks? But they're usually more, they're kind of general. It's not like as general as an archetype, but it's like if um, I'm trying to build a board with this deck, I'm going to look for the decks that have the most creature control and ban those. Or if I have a, a very little creature control in my deck, I might look for the decks that have like high mid-20s in creatures and ban that one. So that's not really looking at it from an archetype level, but it's also not, it's not the best thing either. Like I'm handicapping myself in that, I am not looking at all of the necessary things for me to look at to evaluate the matchup. Like, just because a deck has 25 creatures doesn't mean that it's one of those decks that's going to win by playing a bunch of creatures. It probably will be, but I need to learn how to get better at, like, digging deeper into this stuff that goes beyond, like, just raw numbers that you'd see in the DOK sidebar. Like, how many creatures do you have? How many board wipes do you have? How many pips do you have? Like, I think there's ways to look at decks a lot deeper than that, obviously, and I want to... I want to try to get better at learning those ways. And I think it's going to help me in like evaluation for these kind of formats where you can bring a number of decks to the pool, like try it in Hexad, and you have a ban opportunity, which I think adds like a totally different element to this. Like if I have a bunch of combo decks, then obviously I'm going to be looking for the Eaton's Jar. And so like there's specific things like that, but you're able to have a little bit more freedom in these formats where you have a ban involved. And I think it just really pays to know um, what your deck's weaknesses are and what kind of archetypes you generally don't do well up against and how do you mm-hmm. recognize those when you see them in a banning a, a banning round. 
plays into a lot of what you were saying last week, which folks are going to be hearing today, tomorrow, when when um, things hit their pod uh, catchers. Although the fo- fine folks in the chat now are, are getting it real time, which is awesome too. Understanding your own decks in and out is a big part of it. And I think having some of this as context can be helpful in sort of aiding your thinking on that front for sure. Though careful, careful not to use it too much as a crutch, I suppose, just because of the uniqueness, uh, and which I think is a good thing. Do you have a favorite personal archetype that you play? You mean other than combo? No, you can include combo. <laughs> uh, I mean, all of the negative play experience ones are my favorite. I don't know. I, I kind of <laughs> like them too. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of of Doomies personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is an article that now in stereo wrote a while back, and I'm going to link to that as well in the chat. It's from Time Shapers, um, Aurora graciously allowed him to publish this one um and this was actually free sloppy lab work days when now in stereo and i were kind of talking all the time about keyforge we coined the term doomies at that time because everyone was talking about zoomies and so we're like well you know what if you don't just want to draw a bunch of cards and play a bunch of cards what if you want to do the opposite which would be like taking your opponent's number of cards in hand or what number of cards they can play and kind of reducing that down and so he and i actually um did a pretty good amount of research on this. I'm sure as a as an archetype it existed. I just don't know if it had a name before then. Um, so I'm pretty proud of the work that he did, especially um, digging into this really deep statistically. You know, looking into what does it mean to have three chains. Like this came out this article uh, shortly before Dark Tidings came out, and so um, a lot of it's written in that context of like you know Dark Tidings when it comes out, there's going to be a lot more chains involved. How do you value a chain? You know, how do you value a binding irons? What does it do? Like, what if you have two binding irons? What if you have ways to replay those binding irons? Like that kind of stuff adds up a lot. This was just a lot of fun to work with him on this. And for that reason, Doomies, I, I always look around. If I see a deck with like lots of discard effects, especially across houses, I am mm-hmm. uh, often a big fan of kind of like, I guess it's somewhat of an NP experience, like you had said. <laughs> I, I like this kind of stuff, though. It's under the radar when you compare it to Zoomies. Everybody loves the Zoomies and playing a bunch of Tau Vapors and archiving half your deck and things like that. But this, I feel like, is much more uh, niche. And I, I really like this this type. Yeah, I mean, the value flies under the table. I also like how things like Binding Irons interact with, well, Dark Tidings, with the Tide, with uh, the Adaptive as a format. So it gives a little extra, extra depth, too. And I'm reading through this or scanning this article. I did read it when it was first published, but I'm now seeing some of the decks posted here with fresh eyes and yeah. <laughs> realizing that I've seen them yes. played and played against very recently. And you played against that one you were just looking at there. Aegea, you played against it like a week ago. Played so. against it. I don't think I played against this one. I played against a different one, but not, not a played this. But... I played against his deck with the, the Maverick Hysteria. Oh, Okay. Gomez, yeah. Gomez, yes, yeah. Yeah, that's another Doomy. It has a Untamed Hysteria and a Dis Hysteria, Mm -hmm. and it has Glimmer as well. So you thought Glimmer Call was good? It's got (laughs) Glimmer Hysteria. It's really tricky to play with and against. Super cool deck, but like those kind of tools can really like clog your opponent's hand yeah. throughout the game and kind of slow them down unless they know how to play against it. So, And not just Glimmer Hysteria, but Glimmer Hysteria and things like Flaxia. So it's just like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> really getting out of hand once it yep. once it assembles the assembles its pieces. But super cool decks. Maybe we'll see a Zoomy played in our game later. A Doomy, excuse me. A Doomy. Possible. Yeah, I haven't oh. decided yet. You know, I don't personally assign these archetypes to my decks outside of Doomies was one that I specifically did, you know, working a lot with this theory mm-hmm. 
there's a few that I have that I guess I would consider. Like I have a crush deck that I mentioned. I don't really have any zoomies. And I don't know, I guess some combos, obviously, but like I'm more of a, I was always historically a player that was like looking for something that was well-rounded, you know, like I mm-hmm. want to find something that has like at least 10 C and it has artifact control and it has like, you know, at least 10 pips, things like that. Like, I just want to be very balanced. I want to give myself options. And so a lot of my decks are kind of like that and they don't really like go all in on a certain synergy or strategy, but they often try to do a lot of different things. Well, like Emerald is one that I was thinking about playing tonight because I'd be curious, like, where that one falls but it's like kind of just a a little bit of do everything kind of deck it has like just enough creature control to get by sometimes not enough it has artifact control and plenty of it decent amount of pips it's got stealing like it's just got like a little bit of everything like a small amount of efficiency and it's just been it's always been a really fun deck for me to play but it doesn't i don't know like how to classify it and so Mm. i was thinking about playing that one tonight just to have like that you know throw it out there like exploration like what how do you define a deck like this or even you know any other deck I have that may not be obviously fitting into one category. I'm in a similar boat with Destratage, so maybe maybe we'll see Destratage uh, match up, matching up there. And that's a deck that is also one I would call very well well rounded. You look at its stats, and it's got sort of respectable spat respectable stats across the board, and maybe some combo elements to it. Maybe not, but it was always a deck that. I never felt like I was playing to its potential. I know I've mentioned mentioned to you, I don't think I've said here, but I'm trying to go through this like hundred game challenge with the deck just to just to kind of see if I reach Nirvana or or just kind of get to the end and like, nope, still same one percentage <laughs> and haven't grown as a player, but it's more of like a, a grow as a player. Like it's my deck that I look at and I'm like, if I were good, I should be winning with this deck, but I'm not winning with it as much as I should. And that's why I'm trying to learn it better. Um but being able to talk about the type of deck that it was, I didn't feel like I had great tools to do so. And so I think there are an awful lot of decks that are kind of middling on these uh, rush to grind scales or don't fit neatly into one of those 12 different deck archetypes that folks throw around. And it'd be interesting to have ways to talk about those decks that make sense. I mean, you do hear terms like mid-range and tempo, but I think you'd get lots of different lots of different opinions or ideas on what they mean. Maybe there's a mario kart character for them well it's like a middleweight yeah who's the middleweight but there's probably like six different middleweight though no yeah there's a lot of different middleweights but honestly uh in mario kart a lot of like all the heavyweights essentially have the same stats all the middleweights have all the same stats it's really just like Mm -hmm. do you like bowser or do you like wario okay they're they're like statistically the same but see not i'm not trying to say that diddy kong racing was better than mario kart (laughs) but there were like five there were like four or five middleweights and they're all like slightly different. Like one had a little bit more control, but was like a little bit slower, better acceleration, but a little bit slower max mm-hmm. speed. And so you had some like gradation in there. You could like find the one that fit you just yeah. right. Well, um, now Mario Kart has been adding like different customizations for your carts. You could have like a different cart. Um, you can have different wheels. You can have a different parachute. And they all like kind of change your stats slightly. So there's a little bit more strategy involved in like your character and cart selection. Kind of sounds like they added alliance to Mario. I was Kart. just gonna say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I guess it is. Like, it's not full customization. You can't control. Like, you can't just load up in one thing, and you know, you're not gonna have like a perfect stat or two. It's not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I want it to. I want that analogy to work because everything else with this analogy between Mario Kart and KeyForge works. But I'm not sure if I'm into that one yet. I don't know if that works. We have a challenge from Data Fortune from Zoc, and I think this would be a fun one. Let's go through our hex ed lineups and see if we if we can pinpoint 
a um, archetype for each of those decks. Okay. Um, I'll send yeah. you my link to my my list from last season, and then we'll start with yours. Twenty or nineteen? Nineteen. We'll look at nineteen. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not decided on twenty yet. So. Okay. Cool. So I'll I'll run through mine first. I've got Brickblade here. Twenty creatures. Lots of speed. I think this is as close to Azumi as you can get without Logos, um, but is definitely looking mm-hmm. to flood the board, spam creatures, burn through its deck with those punctuated and Kirby. So. I, I'm not sure if you'd call this uh, Zumi or Flush per se, or, or uh, Flood per se, um, but it has elements of both. Never put that together. That this deck has 25 speed, but no logos. 25 speed, but no logos. It's, uh, it's a deck that often bubbles to the top two for formats like Oubliette, because you're like, I've got no logos or no disc, but I'm still like still hopping out 25 speed. So it feels like hmm. it often feels like a logos deck, even though it's not there. I think Teasaker is closest to what I would call control in what folks would tr- traditionally label as control though i i really don't think control is a great label for keyforge um but this is probably the closest one so it might be the grindiest of my grind decks um yep. though with its with its speed and against opposing boards that don't have tons of board control it can definitely put up a big presence so i think in in the right matchups it'll feel like a flood deck too yeah lorian's lorian's kind of crush like but can can wear a combo hat on, on occasion too very high C. The expected amber and number of pips are not terribly high, um, but this kind of gets at what we were saying before. You know, if we if we repurpose rush, not to be just a uh, commentary on the number of pips and how fastly it's how quickly it spams amber from hand, then this could be sort of viewed as a board based rush deck or a deck that's looking to shorten the length of the game, um, but not necessarily using amber from hand. Um, Aslan is a Combo deck, yeah. Uh, Stealth Warper is a grindy prison combo deck of sorts. I don't know, combo is not the right we word. Talk about but... prison. We haven't really so, talked about prison yet. Yeah, I, I guess this wasn't one that was on our list. Um, but prison I'd put in the grind camp. Um, I'm borrowing this term from MTG. I think it's a cousin to Doomies. Um, so uh, a prison style deck is one that really looks to constrain your ability to do things. Um, so in an MTG sense, it would, you know, make it more expensive for you to play spells or attack or, or what have you. I think the best examples of that in Keyforge are things like Quixelstone, Heart of the Forest, which say like, okay, you're not playing any more creatures uh, or you're not, you're not forging any more keys. I'm trying to think if there's a great, I mean, Ember Imp is sort of in the same vein, that sort of a thing. Um, I don't think Tezmal is a great, is a great example of a prison style archetype but it's kind of an imperfect mapping i think really really quixelstone is kind of quixelstone and heart are kind of like the best the best and really only kind of quintessential examples but um you could make a case for things like heavy heavy succubus and embryo type decks i think once you start talking about mm, restoring undress maybe in that camp as well but it's it's a fine line between what i'd think of as a prison deck and um and a doomy for um, so maybe this is one where we need to find a good a good type for. Could be. I mean, it's it is untraditional doomy. Like I maybe it is a cousin of it, like you said, because you're really preventing your opponent from playing cards. It's just that they you're not reducing their hand size and you're not random discarding as much, mm-hmm. but they still like have a handful of cards they can't play. So mm-hmm. kind of comes to the same conclusion. And Carbon Amity is probably a deck that I would call a combo deck, but is actually probably a mid-range deck with Martian Generosity, and that's why I lose with it all the time. <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see how I did. Uh, maybe we'll 
use this as a point for retrospective and reflection when we circle back after marching through various archetypes. Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe we should take some notes as well. He's like in in a, the notes section of each of these decks to see like where are we starting with? Like what do we think this is just from our mm-hmm. experience now? And then what is our opinion of it later after we kind of like dig into this a little bit more? Yeah, right on. Uh, so cool. So I, those are those are mine. Uh, I don't know. Would you uh, care to run through run through yours? Yeah, I can try. So um, at the top is Giren. Um, this is a pretty creature control heavy deck. It's kind of a grind though as well because it does really enjoy taking advantage of the sting, and it's got the Fangtooth Caverns out to keep the board clear. So um, I've had a lot of games where um, I've just discarded to auto encoder the entire game, and kind of kept their amber down and kept them from forging until I could get the sting out and drop out a couple of Pismires and take 10 Amber from them at once. Um, and so I've had a lot of games where it's sort of been a slower methodical game. So it's like somewhere between like a crush and a grind. I'm not really sure how to put it. Hmm. Macro Bell, I think I would instantly call it a board flood deck. It definitely tries to establish a board that can do some really nasty things like reaping with three Torados and just consistently calling logos just to draw your entire deck almost even if you're only making like four amber a turn i would say it's definitely a board flood deck and after they finally get rid of those then by that point you can probably drop like a big board of untamed and then play your resurgences to get back the Torados. Mm-hmm. and if they didn't save enough creature control for that fandangle you just come right back down with everything the next turn and it can get into situations where as soon as they use their board wipe they think they're safe and then like a turn later it's like most of it's back. I would call that one a board flood for sure. The next one is the Chinese deck, Bard Poet. This one is I it's very much grindy. It has the effervescent principle, which I'm a huge fan of. It's got the double infernus and the stirring grave to get it back. It's got the auto encoder, so you're often discarding more than you would play. And then eventually you can maybe get to a point where you have a big Saurian board out and then you just spoils of battle and everything, and then you gateway just to make the amber disappear. Something like that. So I guess I'd call that one somewhere on the on the grind scale as well. It's grind and disruption a bit too, because the mark of this is really force your opponent into suboptimal plays. I would say. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a good answer for that one. That's a tough one. Anakim, I think this one is uh, largely rush. I think you look at it at first, people might think combo because of the Feroctor, but mm-hmm. it's definitely a rush in my mind. It has 17 pips and it has a ton of ways to just gain amber. Um, in addition to those. So super fast deck um, can get the game over with pretty quickly just before you even even need to think about the groundbreaking discovery. Mm-hmm. At Emmeline, I would consider a combo. It lives and dies by the library access, face shift, key hammer, interdimensional graft. Um, it mm-hmm. does a pretty good job of delaying until you can get there with the lash and the shaffles and the charrette, but it does need to set that up. And if it doesn't set that up, then it's not quite enough value to win anyway. So... I would call that one a combo. And uh, the last one is Kanben. <laughs> and this is probably the hardest one here for me to define. Um, it's another Sting deck. It's decent rush, but it's not like just trying to end the game quickly. It's it's definitely trying to kind of set up a, a win condition with the Sting and the key cheats. Pretty unique. So I don't know. I don't think I have an answer for this one. Rush is the closest, hmm. but I don't think Rush is a good description of it. Hmm. Do you have a sense? Uh Got, and like, yeah, a sense for how how many turns typically the games with Kanban would take? Probably less than 10. Less than 10. I think it's pretty rare for it to go beyond 10 because it does have some decent efficiency of its own. You know, it's got two Abworks and a Eureka and a Hidden Stash, and it will take Amber as they forge it if you get the Sting out soon enough. So um, yeah. it tends to go pretty quickly. How often do you find yourself in situations where you're sort of delaying your progress for the sake of setting up 
some of these other pieces? I would say not delaying. Like if I don't have the sting yet, then I am usually trying to dig for it. Okay. Unless it's like a situation where I think I can outrush them or maybe I need to handle their board and I just drop a few standardized testings, things like that. Definitely comes up. It almost always wins if I find the sting. And it's probably like, I don't know, it can still win without it. It's just a lot harder. Sure. Cool. Well, I mean, this is a good baseline. We're going to we're gonna keep this one in the old archives and, I don't know, check ourselves when we circle back, I'm sure. Yeah. So I was um, doing some research and DOK had a very had to think for a very long time when I asked it this. I just looked on DOK and searched for decks without logos that have 25 efficiency. And mm. there is one in existence. <laughs> and that is Brickblade. So you literally have the highest efficiency deck that does not have logos that exists in this game right now. Is that is that true? Let's see. We'll, we'll do this right now. Yeah, and while you're looking that up, DataForge Stream says the beauty of Keyforge is most decks don't fit into a clear archetype, and I totally agree. It's got a lot a lot more nuance than than it does at first glance, and that's really definitely one of the coolest things about the game. Is the more you play it, the more you learn. I see you're trying to search. It's taking a long time. No, I just had a, a stray tag hidden in there. Uh, okay. Let's see if this finds it. So two decks with 24 plus. Mm-hmm. I uh, bumped it down just in case the UI was rounding up on me. And it's funny, um, the other deck I literally just played against in NKFL, <laughs> which is super... I, I recognized the name and I was like, why do I know that name? Does that belong to our team? I thought for a second that maybe my search was like only looking at our team, but no, I was like, yeah, I know that deck. It's a spicy one. It is super spicy. I, I decided not to ban it because his other decks were also extremely spicy. How about that? You have the highest efficiency non-logo stack. Claim to fame right there. Yeah. <laughs> 25. I, I never knew it had 25 until you just showed me. And I was like, that seems really unusual. So my spidey sense was tingling on that one. Four and a half from both punks. Three and a half from three different Kirbys. <laughs> Val and Gray. And then minus one from the Axiom too. <laughs> so it could be even higher. If only you had... No, uh, no creature control. You lot <laughs> no higher. creature control. Of <laughs> a very uh, creature control despair. <laughs> That's six point five rating. Yeah, I mean, I'm not worried about their board. They're worried about my board, right? That's the right? plan. That's, That's kind of plan. what what Macrobell does. Very similar mm-hmm. way. Macrobell has essentially just two two decent creature control cards. That's a standardized testing and a Kurzap. And um, I've learned to do really well with that, just by like that same rule that you just said, like. It's usually my opponent that wants to clear the board, not me. So I just kind of mm-hmm. let them handle it. This is the old, the old best defense is a good offense line, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. I don't know if there's anything anything else we missed for this kind of groundwork episode, as we put it. I'm sure there's a ton we missed, but that leaves us room to room to expand. You know, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, we missed we missed a lot by design, but I mean, as far as laying the groundwork, I as think as far as laying the groundwork, setting the I stage. Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. And so we have to play a game. Before we switch gears, uh, Sloppy Lab Work, or rather Bottom of the Beaker, is filmed weekly in front of a live audience of ducks and humans, <laughs> 30 Eastern, uh, right here at uh, twitch.tv slash Sloppy Lab Work. And you can check out the archives of our past shows and the various streams that we've done over at YouTube. We're at Sloppy Lab Work there. And uh, for the very best content scraped from the Bottom of the Beaker, you can find us in your podcatcher of choice. Just search for Bod of the Beaker. Anything you'd add or, or say as a sign up for us, Quick Draw? I thought that was a fantastic little rundown of, of where you can find us at. I would just ask you to please stay sloppy, JT. 